Welcome into another edition of the Dane and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, we are joined by the legend, Brian Snow, and you all know Dan as well. Um, just for all of you who have joined to get an update on Ben Stanley's waiver, let me just get it out here. We we don't know. We do not have any information on Ben Stanley's waiver, so sorry about your luck, and now we'll continue talking to the, the rest of the five people that will continue listening after that. I'll Gentlemen, how are you? I'm, I mean, I'm good. I've, I've got water. I'm happy. There's baseball on the television, albeit not the Cincinnati Reds. And I'm podcasting, gentlemen. Oh, why did you have to mention the Reds? But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. I mean, as we enter, what is today, March the 225th or <laughs> what is today? Um, yeah, oh, that's right. Just, yeah. Uh, Every day of the week is exactly the same. Every day is both a Wednesday and a Saturday. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't think I had to put a suit on this morning and go to the office. I got to the office and the computer system was down. So I came home. So that's the way things are going in my life these days. Rick, Rick Boys, the real question is, how are you doing? Yeah. How are you doing, Rick? Like, have you had any, have you suffered any massive head injuries in the last five minutes or so? I don't think it's early enough to call it massive, but I think I'm in the protocol. Uh, I think they'll continue monitoring me through the next 24 hours and see where it goes. But I hit my head very hard about 90 seconds before we went on air. Uh, so I'm playing, th playing through it. But like, here's the thing. They can't take my helmet away. Podcasting <laughs> is not a joke. Like, we'll just play right through it. And whatever I say, I say. It's uh, to the benefit of the people, I believe. So I can believe it is worth hoops. noting. Rick's blurry as vision right now. So put it, th put it this way. I would be testing positive for a concussion if uh, I was put to such test. So. Well, that's kind of normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we, so why don't we start uh, what promises to be a really scintillating hour of podcast radio uh, by talking about uh, the schedule, because it seems like there's a lot of things going on with that snow. You dropped, uh, both of you guys have dropped nuggets over the last week or so about it, but like run me through, assume that I haven't been paying attention to any of this because between you, me and the lamppost, I haven't. Um, what is the current, when the, when the uh, NCAA governing bodies got together and decided what the basketball season was going to look like, just sort of lay it out for me. How many games are they playing? When are they starting, et cetera? Okay. Well, they are starting on November. The first day you are allowed to start is November 25th. You are allowed to play up to 27 games, including your multi-team event, which is called an MTE for short. If you do not participate in an MTE, you are only allowed 25 contests, meaning Three games in your MTE only count for one. Xavier has put a scintillating MTE together that I'm sure the fans will enjoy. What can you tell us about that, Brian, the, uh, the Xavier MTE that's going to be played this year, obviously instead of going to Orlando? Yeah, Xavier has decided that playing Michigan State, Gonzaga, and Auburn, it's just really not worth their time. So they instead decided that Toledo, Bradley, and Oakland would be an appropriate trio to face off so those four teams i believe will all play basically around robin and that's that and so i, I think it's worth noting that oakland prepares guys for the nba finals as seen with kendrick nunn so that's true 
people so forget I think, that. Yeah, I think you got to put some stock into that. But I mean, you, you you throw the MTE out there, you add the Oklahoma game, uh, you got 20 Big East games. I think we're at what, 24 of 27 games that they can play? Yes. Yeah. That is correct. Good yeah. math. Good math. I can't imagine any interest on who the other three games might be. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, there's two questions left, and the first is the Crosstown shootout, but let's table that discussion for one second because uh, I think that'll be a decent portion of this podcast. The second is let's assume UC or some other high major game is played. What do the other few games look like in your opinion, Brian? Western Illinois and Central Illinois. Um, I don't know if Central Illinois is school, but I think is if they aren't a school, that'd probably be uh, the preferred opponent. Um, I don't see Xavier trying to schedule up at all. They want to stay local. They want to stay in their uh, cocoon of happiness on the campus. And they want as little traveling as possible because apparently – you get COVID in a bus or a charter flight. I don't know. Dan, well, what that means you. then, I guess, I guess, Snow, is that Gavit games are off. I think we knew that already. And then yeah, and, the way- and to be to by the Gavit games, they were scheduled before November twenty fifth. Got it. Not all of them, but a majority of them. And so, then the Wake Forest series, they'll take off a year this year. Yeah, I don't know what the hell happened there. Okay, so I mean, so Xavier was set up to have a really strong non-conference schedule this year. When you consider the Orlando, the Orlando event, Oklahoma still on the schedule, but a Gavit game, you know, which fill in the blank of who that would be, uh, probably Wisconsin, um, and uh, and and uh, and UC, and obviously a lot of that has gone by the boards at this point. And I think it makes sense because the last time I think we talked, we talked about how if it was just an all conference game season, we were talking about, well, if you're one of the sixth or seventh place teams in the big East, you might go eight and 12 and that'd be a rough way to try and get in the NCAA tournament. So I get the scheduling, uh, the scheduling philosophy. And to be perfectly honest, if fans aren't going to be going to the games anyway, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me that much. Yeah. Well, Dan, that's what um, I wanted to ask you about that from the fan perspective. I mean, it's easy to say, why would you give up the opportunity to play a Michigan State or a Gonzaga or what have you in Orlando for games like Bradley, Oakland, and Toledo when you're a fan because you want that level of excitement? But I think also if fans look up and Xavier was two and three or one and four to start the season and you start the season on an extended road trip with a team that has a lot of moving pieces and all of a sudden things just aren't going right and you know you enter Big East play at four and three and I think you look at Big East play, 10 and 10 would be a very reasonable record for this year's team. Like, what would you prefer from the fans' perspective but, to have the record or to have the better games on your schedule early? Ultimately, um, I keep going back to this fact that if I'm not there, um, it doesn't really matter to me who they play. Like, like and I, I that's a, a blase way to say it. I don't really mean that. But by the same token, I think given the, the strength of the Big East schedule, if that's the difference between them being 15 and 12 on selection Sunday and 12 and 15, uh, yeah, <laughs> sign me up. I mean, I, and I, I get exactly what you guys are saying. I, I understand that the, the, the COVID piece of it is probably overblown. I mean, obviously the NBA has managed to stage four months of games in Orlando without, with minimal problems. Um, 
So I don't, I, that, that probably, that doesn't ring as true to me, but on the other hand, I also get, you know, you want to stay close. You want to use your facility as much as you can. Uh, you don't want to spend a huge amount of money because obviously, as Mario said, Mario walked you through Rick, you know, the, the financial ramifications of, uh, of no fans. So I get it personally. I don't have a whole lot of problem with the scheduling philosophy, particularly given, as you said, a team with a lot of new pieces, a lot of moving parts uh, that's going to need to develop together before they get into conference play. So that kind of leads us to the crosstown shootout discussion. And I mean, Brian, I guess at, at this point, what are the real issues holding it up aside from the fact that Xavier wants the game to be at UC as scheduled and UC doesn't want it to count as their home game next year because no one's going to be there. I think that's really the only issue. How, um, how real are the issues? Meaning is there, I mean, is this po- is it possibly heading to a point where this game isn't played? Are there going to be other possible solutions looked at? Or is this really just a situation where at the end of the day, UC is going to have to shut up and, and take their medicine if Xavier isn't willing to work with them? Um, at the end of the day, like they've had what probably three weeks already to figure this out and they haven't been able to do it. Mm. Now, this should be a 10 minute conversation. It shouldn't be that hard. Like, neither of you are that good where like you should be able to stomp your feet and say, I win. Um, but like with everything in Xavier and UC, there's going to be egos. There's going to be, we can't lose in any way, shape or form to them. Blah, 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 blase, blase. So could ultimately, I have a hard time seeing the game not happen just because I think the presidents will make if they have to, but what way it looks, I, I don't know. I mean, what? It seems like really the the options, the reasonable options are, I mean, they could play it at a neutral site, but that that's going to cost people money, et cetera, this year. And then you see host next year and get back on the cycle. But of course, Xavier's not going to want that. Um, and it's going to cost money that doesn't need to be spent. Uh, I guess one option... <laughs> would be Xavier hosts the game behind closed doors this year. And then UC gets it next year um, with fans there. I guess that would be one option. Um, Xavier also doesn't want. Yeah. Which I'm, yeah. Which I'm sure they don't want because the crosstown shootout is probably like, and I know there's there Xavier does use a little bit of the graduated ticket prices based on the, the game, but I, it's not that huge of a difference, but I, but that is a game that draws a huge amount of interest. Um. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I was thinking a little bit outside the box today as we got ready for this and the thought occurred to me, why not just play at home and home next year? Don't I don't play think, it this year, play at home and home next year. I don't I think there's not. either way, either coaches agreeing to take that chance of losing twice. I mean, I think that gets <laughs> you fired if you're either of those coaches. That ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just don't yeah. think they could, could, they could recover from an and two season to eat to each other so they won't I, I just themselves but can you imagine how awesome it would be if the games were like on Wednesday and Saturday and they were back to back oh back to back would be insane yeah I mean that would you'd have the chance to do some insanely fun things from a rivalry perspective but no one's really that interested in being fun at this point they're much more interested in looking out for their 
own interest. And, and I understand that. Like if Xavier fans would want Xavier to be doing the same thing you see is trying to do right now, if uh, the roles were reversed, I think. And, and you, it's easy to say you wouldn't uh, sitting in Xavier's position right now, but the reality is I think everyone would be asking for this same type of thing. Yeah, and let, let's make it clear. If the roles were reversed, everyone would have the exact 180 stance that they currently do. Right. Like, no one's no one's above that right now. Certainly not these two freaking schools. Right, and they're all... And, that, and the thing is, it's not like either one of them are being too overly petty in this situation. I think they no, both no. have legitimate cases. Sure, sure. And I don't know... And, you know, I don't... I, I'm not aware, maybe you guys are, as to whether this game is is run through a contract or if it's just sort of a... There's an agreement. Now, what does an agreement mean? Right. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to look like the contract, say, for a home-and-home home between Xavier and, I don't know, Oklahoma or something look, like, like did, that. Did they sign a 10-year con? I'm sure someone could it if they really wanted to. But like, did they through UC, not through Xavier? Local media's tried to FOIA Xavier before that didn't go well. Right. Um, but you know, did they sign that ten-year deal after the two-year debacle at US Bank Arena? Maybe. I, I honestly, I don't know. Was it just a ten-year kind of like, all right, this is let's get back to reality here and not be idiots? Again, I, mean, I, I don't know. To a certain extent, it just seems so like. <laughs> Like there's, there's part of me that's like, that agrees with you guys. Both schools have, I mean, perfectly legitimate uh, positions on this. And then there's a part of me that's just like, Jesus Christ, guys, just like, there's not going to be any fans there. Just find some place to play and do it. You know what I mean? Um, the posturing is just kind of like, whatever. And you know, the, the funny thing about it is, and somebody brought it up on the message board and I, I agree with them is, why are we so sure that Xavier is going to have a capacity crowd for the following year? Oh, we're definitely not sure about that. Anyone so, claiming they're sure about that is in living in Looney Tune land. So it's uh, it, it all seems a bit silly at the moment. So, but Snow, your your opinion is they will work it out. Yeah, I, I just think both sides have more than lose. You know, like you're Travis Steele, you've accomplished nothing as a head coach. With all due respect to John Brandon in the Horizon or Summit or whatever league NKU plays in, you've accomplished nothing. Re- oh, crazy now. Relax, though. Why? What is that about? There is no reason for NKU to be catching ricochets right now. <laughs> or the Horizon League, for that matter. John Brandon has accomplished nothing as a head coach. Travis Steele has accomplished nothing as a head coach. And both these dudes are going to dig their heels in and, like, pull a Calipari. I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, but my take with the Louisville Xavier thing was ultimately that Mac made the right decision in the end to just say, look, I'm going to point some things out and call them out on their BS, but we're just going to go ahead and play the game because we're not going to to let the rivalry go by the wayside. And I also kind of understand my place in, in college basketball right now. I think that was the smart move by Chris Mack. So by that same token, I mean, I don't, think I'm being unfair to think that should probably be what John Brandon ends up doing here too. Like you may ask Xavier if they want to work with you, but ultimately I think you should probably make sure you're not the guy who ends up stopping the rivalry. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is we'll see which school, if it starts to get nasty, which we ain't too far away. No, we're, we're getting close to that point. 
Yeah, I mean, the season starts in seven weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're getting to figure close it out to that soon. point where it's going to become messy. But we'll see which school sat. Both these schools have not proven to be savvy in the game of public relations. Let's be honest about that. Um, who can control the narrative? So right. far, UC has chosen not to comment on the situation. And Xavier's comments have been all golly gee whiz. We just hope we play. Yeah, right. Xavier's have been uh, Xavier's haven't exactly been subtle. They've been a little heavy handed with uh, their two off quotes to John Rothstein being sent out. I mean, <laughs> that stuff is so bad. Like, what are you doing? I read that and I was like, Ugh, for a school that thinks on, so much about the details, they're so bad at messaging because they wait on everything and then they do something like that and look ridiculous. Like, and so, let's make something clear. Neither Travis Steele nor John Brand ha- Brandon has it in them to do what Chris Mack did. Right. Like, right, right, right. They, they just don't. And, and that's fine. That's, that's not fine. their personality. Yeah. And I don't mean you have to put out some social media video, you know, calling John Calipari out. I just mean, you control know, the message. Exactly. Control Ultimately, I don't think you want to be looked at as the coach who ended this rivalry, regardless of how it shakes out. So if that yeah. somehow falls on Travis Steele, so be it. Travis Steele probably shouldn't let that happen. Um, if that falls on John Brandon, I'd say the same thing. And ultimately, in this case, I think it will probably fall on Brandon because he's in the same situation Chris Mack was with, with UK. You had the game scheduled at your place. Um, I do have one other question about just from a competitive standpoint. I know fans aren't going to be there and that accounts for a lot of money. And from that perspective, you just really can't make it up. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, do you, what do you think is more important to home court advantage? Do you think it's having fans in the stands or do you think it's just having like the familiarity with playing in the gym you shoot in every day and the sight lines and all of that fans in the stands by far. Really? See, I would, I would disagree with that. I would go with the opposite. Um, you, you occasionally, teams shoot a lot better uh or not i shouldn't say teams i should say players like i remember because i remember i was sitting with bill comar uh before xavier left for phoenix uh when they were gonna play in the sweet 16 against west virginia and i pointed out bj raymond hadn't made a shot on the road all summer or excuse me all season and he he like he didn't even realize it at the time but BJ Raymond was shooting something like 14% from three on the road that season. And all of them came against Auburn. Um, whereas he was shooting like than at home. I think occasionally you see something stark like that, but generally speaking, like sometimes teams just shoot the lights out on you, no matter where it's at. And I, I think basketball players have been playing basketball for so long and it's not like you're going from high school gym to a dome. And then, you know, like the, the backdrops at fifth third and Cintas aren't all that different. Um, no, I'm, I, I could see something like Hinkle where it is different. Um, but, but yes, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I think it's definitely more about the fans, more about the atmosphere. The, um, the energy, like the, when you feel the, especially in the Crosstown shootout where at times, like you can feel like the building is caving in on you. Like yeah, no I remember question. one time Xavier's getting just blasted at UD arena and Pat Kelsey told me he literally felt like the building was caving in on them. And you, I think that counts for a lot more than, you know, the randomness of does the shot go in or does the shot not go in? 
because there's so many times where teams just have bizarre shooting nights at home where they make a ton or miss a ton. I, I just think that atmosphere, especially in big games, is what counts for a lot. And there's just also the fact that Mario referred to this on, on your show or on uh, the interview you did with him, Rick. I mean, even road trips now basically are indistinguishable from one another, right? It's the same hotel, same hotel food. It's the same hotel ballroom for your walkthrough, whatever. It's not like uh, it's maybe it's probably not like it was back in the eighties when, you know, Andy Mack could tell you stories about Xavier busing to Evansville and, you know, it not being on TV and, you know, getting four fouls on their center in the first two minutes. And then Andy and Andy and Joe getting into a argument with people at the pizzeria afterwards, that sort of thing. I mean, those days are long gone. It's, it's so stage managed and it's almost like at a professional level at this point that I, I don't think that stuff enters into it as much as just the, the atmosphere and the energy that's in the, that's in the crowd. So I mean, how did Andy never get kicked out of a game? Oh, he did. Didn't he get kicked out of that Detroit Mercy game when he stood up and yelled at the ref? No, he may not have gotten kicked out, but they definitely fashioned a seatbelt for his chair. We're going to have to ask him about that the next time we talk to him. But, uh, but yeah, I, I remember that pretty well. It was almost a May shock, but I don't think he got run. You don't think he got May shock? I don't think he got May shock. He has a bit more self-awareness than May shock did. So. Um, I was just going to mention, you know, last year I went out to uh, my cousin lives in Omaha. I went out there for the Xavier Creighton game. And I mean, that is the, the kind of big time atmosphere where you definitely feel like the crowd plays a factor at a place like that with 17,000 people packed to the gills. Um, By the really, way, they're allowed to have 10,000 in the arena right now, just so you know. Creighton is? Yes. You won't catch me there, but that's another, <laughs> that's another interesting, but that's another interesting factor to this season. Cause there's going to be some there, there will likely be some teams that have crowds and some that do not. And, and well, I guess we'll see whether that Who, makes it. Who's the commissioner of the big East, Dan? That would be Val Ackerman. No, you're incorrect. It's Jay Wright. Villanova is <laughs> not allowed to have anybody in the stands. I can't imagine the commissioner of the big East allowing anybody to have any fans in the stands if he can't have them. Go Jay. But yeah, back to wrap up that whole conversation, I, I'm not at all insinuating that I don't think fans are hugely important to home court advantage, but like, I think I would still much rather play Xavier at Cincinnati from Cincinnati than I would move the game to Mount St. Joe's or something just from a standpoint of if I'm John Brandon, I want that crosstown shootout win. That would make a difference to you than if they played it, you know, as I would say at Woodward with Jamal Walker on a live mic. Well, I would rather have that from a fan perspective, but <laughs> if I was John Brandon, I would rather have it at UC's gym because I still think sh- shooting in the gym that you shoot in every day matters a lot. I, I believe that. I mean, I think it's an advantage. I just think the crowd advantage. That's fair. Um, Rick, Rick Broering, the guru of podcasting. Will the Crosstown shootout be played this year? I think it will. Yeah. Where? I think it'll be at Cincinnati. And do you think that will have any effect on future year scheduling? Or do you think it stays on the exact same cadence it's on now? Uh, that, I, that I don't know. I just, I don't see what Xavier would really agree to in terms of changing next year. Like, again, as you guys have also pointed out, there's no guarantee next year goes off without a hitch either. So, like, I just don't, I don't really see what Xavier would want to reasonably We're weeks away from to. a vaccine, Rick. 
people forget that. Or you just spray some Lysol up all the players' asses and run them out there. <laughs> Gorilla steroids. Yeah. I'd love to see Jennings administer that shot. All right, I think the other uh, topic of news that's kind of been out there recently with college basketball as it relates to the start of the season and COVID and everything, it's topical recently, is the possibility of an extra year of eligibility for all of the players. Okay, um, I have a question about this. Can I can I ask a question first? Because I'm not sure that I totally understand it. Because Snow, you bro- we'll talk about you know Snow's breakdown of who might take advantage of this. But does this apply to everybody? Everybody. Like, it does. Every last person on the roster. So if Ben Stanley gets, if, if as Rick says, his waiver is denied, he would still have two years left. No. Explain this to me. Um, that's a, tr- wait a minute. That's a tricky one. Okay. Well, let's, let, um, let, let me make it easier then. I think let's he would. Let's say we're talking Brian. about, uh, yeah, that's my question. Brian, you're saying no because of the clock, right? Because it's clock. Yeah, that's tricky. I, that's I, I don't think work. that'll. I think if you're giving everyone an extra year, you have to disregard the clock for everyone. And yeah, I mean, so so if CJ Wilcher wanted a five-year college career, he could do it. Yeah, yeah, I okay. think that is that is the case. Now the thing, basically, about, everyone hurting whether they play zero minutes or all the minutes. Okay. Yeah, I that's think the it's, easiest way to look at it. It's sort of like uh, the Major League Baseball. You just wouldn't get any service time this year. Like it's like the year yeah. didn't happen for you. So. Um, now, how many people are going to want to be in college at 25 or whatever? That's right. And, and I mean, now, even that, that, being said, that being said, I'm 40. And if you offered me a year in college right now, you better believe I'm taking it. But, you know, well, that's because you've got kids and a wife. That's true. And actually going to some COVID frap right now probably isn't a good idea for me. Either. Your wife would be thrilled about that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, Dan's taking a walk on. Oh, spot I, with you the think team. I'm living at home? No, <laughs> <laughs> You're just burning it all to the ground. Exactly. See you, honey. The, See you, kids. I'm living in, no, I'm living in the dorms. I'm going to like USC or something. <laughs> no, you could uh, go uh, be a walk-on for Cronin if you're willing to take rocks off your face after practice in the locker oh, room. Oh, God, no. I don't need that in my life. Hmm. Could be I funny. do not need that in my life. All right. Shamanad so, would be nice. Back that? to the extra year of eligibility, Snow. Is it likely to happen from what you're hearing? Let me make it clear. I have no idea if it's likely to happen. Um, coaches, the majority of coaches I've talked to think it will happen. Now, it's not a not a guarantee. They're not. They just think everyone's going to get the year back because spring athletes got it last year. Fall athletes got it this year. They think that winter athletes are going to get it this year. I mean, so I think that makes sense. So let's think I mean, about that. And God knows what this season's going to look like. There are that's also coaches true. who are like, I hope we can get in 13 games. And that's a fair point, which, um, well, we'll hit the topic of conference play maybe later. But um, speaking of, uh, of, of this issue, Brian, you kind of posted a breakdown of uh, Xavier seniors or people who would be in their last year of eligibility this year. And it sounded like you you think obviously Paul Scruggs, there's no chance. But um, the other Adrian three, Tarski, zero point right. zero. But the other three guys, there's at least a you could you could fashion a situation where any or all of them might decide to come back. Yeah, I mean, can I fathom it? Absolutely. Like I don't. Jason Carter's coming back for another year to like do work on his like PhD. Like, I mean, like I know we all had fun in college, but like. 
I'm here to tell you, I went an extra quarter at Ohio State for football tickets. I was so ready to get the hell out of college. And I got to imagine, like, these guys are going to be the same way as well. Especially Carter, who, you know, like, he's had a successful college career. He's 23 or 24, whatever it is. Like, how much longer do you just want to be in college? Right. Now, the other two, that that that's where it gets interesting. Brian Griffin, you know, this is going to be a new experience for him. And it's not going to be kind of the experience he hoped for because it's, you know, it's not going to, it's going to be major college basketball, but it's not going to be major college basketball. So I could, I think he'd be the most likely to return. Um, Then there's uh, Nate, Nate Johnson. Um, I think there'd be a pretty good shot just because again, it would be his first chance playing real college basketball. And again, it might not be real college basketball this year. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a much better chance that those two, and also like when you look at it, like Paul Scruggs, he's, he's flown on charter flight for years, had chefs cooking him meals for four years, take the academics, which he wants no part of for a fifth year. Cause God knows I wouldn't either. And, you know, take that out of the equation. Like none of this is going to be new and like unique to him. Carter will have been in it for a couple of years. Like it, the, like the novelty worn off. You know, the new guys, Nate Johnson, you know, uh, Brian Griffin, like Brian Griffin was probably taking like a cab to games last year. (laughs) Riding a bike. And seeing that guy on a bike would be interesting. Yeah. I I mean, like, you know, this could be completely have a chance to go. I think next year Xavier's MT might be in Vegas. I think it is. I, I don't know if I'm breaking news or I think Mario said that, right? Uh don't think he did, but anyway. He had mentioned Dubai, possibly, or maybe the surface <laughs> of the moon as possible. Yeah, I, I think it's Vegas. I don't know if I'm right on that. Like, there'll be reasons for those guys to come back, whereas guys like Carter and Scruggs really wouldn't have those reasons. Yeah. Um, obviously, Brian posted a detailed breakdown, all that stuff, if you want to read more about it, at musketeerreport.com for the subscribers. But – Brian, how much do you think ultimately that benefits Xavier considering what they have kind of coming up behind those guys? I mean, do you think they'll need an extra year of Nate Johnson, Brian Griffin, potentially? Doesn't hurt, at least in theory. I mean, if you look at it right now, Xavier's one player short going into next year. Um, Probably one, you know, guard wing short. So... Nate Johnson, you know, like he, they no longer be short um, in terms of numbers because you look at it like we, and again, we don't know what Daniel Ramsey's health situation is. And, um, you know, there's going to be a red shirt in there. So there would only be nine eligible bodies next year. You know, you add Brian, you add Nate Johnson to that mix. It's 10. That's where you want to be. Um, if Brian Griffin comes back, that's 11. You're probably a little bit heavy as to where you want to be, but you know, it's not really going to call it. You, you can manage that. Uh, would it be a benefit? Sure. Um, would it be this overwhelming benefit? I don't know. And we also don't know like what other schools seniors would come back. You know, like does Mitch Bollock come back for Creighton? Like, I don't know. Or I would guess he doesn't, but you know, maybe he does, you know, does Aaron Thompson come back for Buck? Again, I would guess he doesn't, but maybe he does. You just don't know what it would look like across the landscape. I would say it'd probably be a 50-50 at best 
in terms of most seniors returning for an extra year of eligibility. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the other thing to point out here is this doesn't really apply to Xavier as much, but the way they will do this is schools will have the option whether to give the, the extra year of eligibility. Cause right, I know a lot right. of spring sports last year, like just simply couldn't afford it, had too many guys already coming in and just said, sorry, we don't, you know, you're not going to get that extra year. We're not giving it out to our seniors. I think you'll see a lot of low to mid major schools do that even in basketball, just because that they won't be able to afford the extra scholarships if they have like a big freshman class coming in or what have you. Yeah. And for people who don't know, like school, like, Whenever an athletic department or a school quotes numbers on how much their athletic department makes or doesn't, they are cooking the books at a level that's absurd. Well, athletic at, at the bigger at the bigger schools, that that means more than at some of the smaller schools. I mean, some of the smaller schools are really scraping by, even in the athletic departments. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, is like, take Ohio University. The Ohio University athletic department, Ohio University, the value of the scholarship for a basketball player. Right. Um, it's taking money out of your left pocket, putting it into your right pocket, and then saying your left pocket's poor. But there are actual expenses to housing the players um, and, and everything that goes with you know, having a player on your team, whether it be at the lower levels having to buy equipment, jerseys, all that stuff, uh, just right. all, all yeah. of it. I mean, there is, there is legit yeah, food costs, all of that type of stuff, hotel rooms. I mean, these are there are actual budgetary line items that these schools are going to be going down one by one. I mean, I think schools like NKU will probably be traveling a little bit differently in terms of the the level of hotel they were staying at and things like right. that. Right. I mean, it's pro- probably not like a school like Ohio University, which is at least nominally a uh, 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 FCS or an FBS uh, division football team. I mean, it would be schools that it would be schools like Rick talks about, like NKU that, that don't have big revenue sports. Uh, to rely on. Yeah. And NKU's in a lot better shape than a lot of other schools we're, we're talking about. Yeah, than about Western here. Illinois or something like that. Sure. Right. So, again, I mean, that but, but really doesn't have a lot is to do there with There are accounting tricks that make it really weird and it, it's just going to be odd. Yeah. The actual pain for them to go to school part, I totally agree with you. They always cite that as like part of the cost. And let's be honest, that, that ain't really costing them anything to let the kids attend class. So, yeah, it's a uh, chair. Yeah. By the way, you have slandered Western Illinois. Home of the Leathernecks, like on a couple of occasions. I just want to, I just want to note that that's the uh, alma mater of uh, football legend Rodney Harrison. Well, I hated Rodney Harrison. He killed the Bengals, and also Brian Cox, who I think played alongside. Well, he played before then for the uh, Patriots, but he was a great player in his time. He had the big like neck board that came out yeah. of his jersey. Also played for the Dolphins, where he was actually star. Oh, Don Beebe too. Who did John Kitna play for that we one time cited incorrectly <laughs> on this podcast? <laughs> Western Washington. Central Washington. Okay. Uh, that, he played with Michi something. Michi, Michi something at Central Washington. All right. Did, Central Washington. This, this is ridiculous. All right. Uh, 2021 recruiting. Brian, they, Xavier has a couple of commits right now in Cesar Edwards and Elijah Tucker. Jay Sean Holt ended up committing to Alabama. The final days of that recruitment you know, we saw you flip your crystal ball. Things were moving pretty quickly there. What ultimately happened in your opinion? And the rare, the rare melted snowball at the last moment. (laughs) Uh, You know, I just think Jashawn was more comfortable with the pitch Alabama was giving him. Um, 
you know, Xavier kind of said, hey, we really want you. You're going to play 15 minutes a game, and we're going to be up front about And, you know, that's that. And if you don't like it, don't come here. Uh, and the point of that, think- the point is that is locker room chemistry and the fact that one of his best yeah. friends is already on the team in Duan Odom, right? Yeah. The, you know, like they wanted to be, they have such good relationships with everybody situation that they didn't want things going to hell by over, over promising. Um, Alabama. Now I don't think Alabama was lying. Alabama said, you know, like we see us as 25, 30 minute a game guy. This is where you fit into our roster. And that, that cell was just more appealing to Deshaun. And I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, of course, we had the full details as it was going on up updated each day on the message board. Um, so if you, you wanted more information, we had that there and you can go back and read it. Uh, but Brian, looking back on this, do, do you see it as a situation where Xavier missed on a guy and Deshaun Holt? Should they have done more to try reel him in earlier? Because we had talked about it all spring and summer where Xavier was kind of in this position of it, it felt like they were the leader for Deshaun Holt, but at the same time, they weren't exactly pushing to get a commitment from him either. So uh, did they slow play it too much or what, what was your thoughts on that? In my opinion, yes. I, I think Xavier would disagree wholeheartedly with that. But in my opinion, again, like I said in the previous segment, I think they're one guy short heading into next year. And I think Deshaun would have filled that role and done it really well. But I, I think the Xavier staff and Travis Steele kind of thought differently and they handled it the way they had to in the right way. So, you know, is it how I would have approached it? No. Is it, do they, to this day, not getting the kid, think they approached it the right way? I believe the answer to that is yes. I think I, I just remember something, Snow, you said a few years ago when we were going through one of those summer uh, recruiting sagas. I want to say it was Xavier Simpson. I could be wrong. But I, I just remember it was a kid that, Zay, that XU looked like they were the leader for for a long, long period of time, but there was no commitment, no commitment, no commitment. And you said something to the effect of, look, if, if a school's the clear leader for a kid, and the kid doesn't commit for a long period of time, there's probably something behind that. And here, it just seemed like Xavier was never totally convinced by, by Holt is a, the answer to the question they were asking. And maybe I think they, that's fair. I maybe think that's their, fair. their view was that, uh, that, that they would rather roll the dice in 2021 with some of the other, uh, or I guess 22, 2022 with, uh, with other targets. Yeah, I think that's, Absolutely, Xavier's kind of. I don't think they were even at the end. I don't think they were ever sold on Deshaun. No, I think they're insane for that because I think he's a really good player. But we're allowed to have different evaluations. And and Dan, I think that's you know that the situation you're talking about kind of goes two different ways. And in the, in the case where Brian said it the first time, I think it was a situation where you know Xavier was really trying hard to land a kid and was all in there and. The kid was kind of wasn't reciprocating it as much. And so his point was, you know, if, if the kid's not committing and you're supposed to be the leader for so long, well, the kid's probably looking for something else. In this case, it was kind of almost the opposite. You know, Z- the kid seemed like he was was really liking Xavier all spring and summer and Xavier wasn't really asking him to commit. So it was kind of a, the opposite situation in a way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. So with that, I mean, we we can probably... Well, you never say never with Travis Steele. 
for, for the incoming class of next year, but it doesn't seem like Xavier is going to add any more prospects that would be freshmen next year. Correct. As it stands right now, I don't see it happening. Brian, I do think we need to mention Nate Santos because uh, one of our other national writers wrote a story yesterday and he had, you know, quotes in there about uh, Nate Santos saying Xavier had, had been talking to him a lot and him and his father visited not too long ago on their own. What are your thoughts right now with Xavier's relationship with Nate Santos? Do you think that's a guy they're considering or not so much? No, I, I think Xavier has decided. Uh, they have since decided to move on. Nate did visit, you know, probably about a month ago now, I, I think. And since then, I think Xavier's decision that, you know, that they're going to roll with what they got. Yeah, which brings us to 2022, which for, you know, your recruiting heads who are really into this stuff, which we, we have several now who are, you know, I think looking at the 2026 class as we speak on the message board and, and getting their especially, questions ready for you. Especially those from far afield, overseas players. <laughs> yeah, uh, Some whose names are clearly made up. But Brian, you posted some some details about 2022 guys that they're in there with right now and names to keep an eye on. I'm not going to ask you to recite all those, but explain where things are at in the process for 2022 recruits right now. Because I think because we're telling people Xavier's kind of moved on from 2021 and they're focusing a lot on 2022, they're saying, okay, well, who are they going to get? And unfortunately, that's just not exactly the way it works right now, right? I mean, we, we're a long yeah, way I mean, out in that spe- process especially the situation the 2022 kids have been in where they haven't seen anyone. I think the 2022 process is going to move pretty slowly because the kids haven't been to campus. They haven't met the coaches, really nothing. And they at least see a light at the end of the tunnel where that could change. The 2021 kids, they came to the realization like, we're not going to be allowed to take visits. So let's just get this crap over with. The 2022 kids, you know, They'll probably living the pipe dream. Well, in January, we'll be allowed to take visits. Bad news. January probably means June. But, you know, that's still better than what the 2021 kids had to deal with. I think think this summer, spring, maybe summer is kind of when things are going to start to get real in terms of movement towards a decision. So where is Xavier at right now? And, and not specifically just Xavier, but every school. You're, you're, building, you're building up your base of relationship. You're doing Zoom calls, doing phone calls. You're doing all that so that when these kids are able to visit, they already have a level of comfort with you. They know what to think of your school. They know what system you run. And they can start the you know, face-to-face relationship building and, and getting you know, meeting the guys and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So I just wanted to clear it up a little bit about how this works, because I think we're adding a lot of new people to the website and they get excited about this stuff and understandably so, but it's, we're not feeding a ton of 2022 information right now because there's just not a lot of use in it. I mean, we can, we can give you a few names to keep an eye on, but ultimately like the list for, you know, something like we would do for a hot board. We have no idea what that looks like now compared to what it's going to look like in April or May. It's just going to be completely different. Coaches haven't seen these dudes in person. Right. That's my point. There's just no way to have serious information that's worth really drilling into right now um, for 2022. That being said, you did put together a a pretty good list of names. Is there one or two that you think fans should be 
keep an eye out for a possible early commit, like a Dwan Odom type situation. Obviously, no one's that close to committing, but is there anyone that stands out to you as a a really tight knit relationship with Xavier's coaches? Um, I guess probably the the best the guy who fits that description the best right now might be Sean Jones, uh, guard from Gahanna Lincoln High School, Gahanna, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. But even then, I think that'd be stretching it. But I think he's someone, he's local-ish. Xavier's been recruiting him for a while. You know, they they have a need at, at the guard spot. So I think he he could be one. Brian, is the hurdle with Sean Jones to to convince him that Ohio State isn't going to offer? It's a hurdle. I don't know if it's the hurdle. At least not as it state. I mean, I think the hurdle is just like the kid – you know, how much of the recruiting process has he really gone through? Right. Um, you know, if you're looking for a pipe dream, you know, Paul McMillan, local kid from Woodward, he's been to games. Like he's been, he's been playing at the Centos center in open gym with his dad since he was three years old. Like that's a different scenario. I just don't think big Paul and little Paul really have any interest in committing early. I do have a, I, I have more of a general question for you guys about uh, 2022 recruiting because of the circumstances that we just talked about. And that's that, you know, every year we see a couple guys who fall through the cracks in the recruiting process that just explode at smaller schools. It was John Morant a couple of years ago. It was Obi Toppin last year. Is there a, is there a greater possibility of that because of how little opportunity the coaches are going to get to evaluate these, these prospects? Absolutely. Um, now, 2022 is to be determined because maybe you get a somewhat normal spring and summer, but 2021, it's going to happen. You know, guy, every year, guys blow up in their final summer and get, you know, they go from being a Mac level recruit to a high major in one weekend. Like a Griffin McKenzie type rise? <laughs> yeah. In a you weird to, way, yes. had to go there. Wow. It's legendary on this podcast, but. And uh, those guys didn't have that this year. So there's a chance the 2022s could have that. So I think it's going to be more pronounced with 2021 kids than 2022 kids. You guys got anything else? That's all I really had on my list of uh, topics here. Who's going to be the Xavier TBD, TBT team, Richard? Uh, I don't know. Who do you? That is a good point. That's a uh, pretty big news in the Xavier world. Obviously, J.P. Makira, I think everyone expects to be on that team. So you got your shooting guard. Yeah. It would it would seem if they can get Jordan Crawford to play, he would be the type of guy that would be open to this sort of thing. That would be two shooting guards, which would make it an interesting situation. Is there somebody specific who's organizing it? Like, I think Darwin. Oh, okay. All right. So probably see more guys from that period. Um I don't yeah. know. Would, Jay, would Jalen play? I would. I would assume so. He's already played, hasn't he? How much money's he making now? Yeah, a decent amount. Problem. But hasn't he played yeah, in this I mean, already? He... Yeah, no, I... that's true. Yeah, I think he's already. I feel played. like he has. Jalen's a baller. Like the guy will show up yeah. to an open gym in Detroit when he goes back home if you let him. I mean, yeah, I... yeah that's the thing though is he might have in his contract. Like if right. he's making real money. It, it could be written into your contract where you're not playing in the TBT. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I was um, just trying to, I was just thinking about other former Xavier guys who, who if played in Jamel to play. Before. I don't think Jamel would play. If they could get Jamel to play, that'd be huge. Yeah. Yeah. He's James, making too much money. James Farr just hung it up officially, right? So I would imagine he's right. available so if I, they want him. If he wanted to play, I'm sure he could. I know he played for the, uh, was it the VCU? Um, yeah. The VCU yeah, he made some big shots. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know who weirdly would play who's kind of like, all, I don't want to say blowing up, that's the wrong terminology, but like Caslin. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he had a nice year in the G League. Yeah. I think he'd be willing to play. If Samaje is in shape, he'd be. I think Samaje has been back playing again. I think I saw recent content that uh, he is. Isn't he playing with uh, Sean Kilpatrick? He might be. Wow. Yeah, I think I he's overseas right. on the same team as Sean Kilpatrick where he was. I don't know how their seasons work. I can't keep up with all of that. But yeah, I think Samaje. Here's the thing about Samaje is he, you know, he may not pass enough at this stage of a situation like that, but there's no one in that type of setting who's going to guard him and keep him out of the lane. Like he's going to get to the rim whenever you need a bucket. So there was talk of Muga at one time. Well, I mean, you bring back 50 bricks and Muga and JP I mean, kind of got the old guard and the new guard of the uh, zip yeah. up crew. Are they going to play with four balls? <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Like if you have a basketball, a hoop and a court, Two Holloway's playing. Yeah. This is true. So, I mean, I think that we've named the uh, most likely names. Matt Stainbrook is a name I've seen thrown out there a lot, so I assume he must be involved somehow. I don't feel like he's a TBT type of guy. <laughs> well, you don't think so, but then you could also see him scoring like 35 oh, yeah. in one of those games with 18 Sorry. assists. I mean, total YMCA yeah. dominant performance. Yeah, absolutely. If he can, if he can he get the right doing pace, that when he was in college. Now ball screen defense may be an issue even more so now than it was in school, but <laughs> I mean, well, if I will just say this, I, I will make this, uh, this offer too. Cause Rick, you brought it up that, that if they want to call the team Dana and victory or some, I will hand over the Twitter feed without without any. Uh, I just want a jersey or something. Well, I think it's so pretty I'm, clearly going to zip them up. But Dana and Victory would be a good option too. Yeah, anyway. I would say zip them up is probably the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, it is a, it is a delightful name. So, <laughs> speaking of Rick, it's that time. Yep. All right, you've been listening to another edition of the Data and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. For the legend, Brian Snow and Dan, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening. I think I think Rick's brain is so broken he can't operate a zipper at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that, that can be dangerous. Well... <laughs>